chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 is where we'll be uh, working from this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, there might be one under the seat in front of you that you can use uh, during this time. Uh, and that way you can follow along as well. We are well into our study of Hebrews. And uh, Hebrews is a, a great, been a great, great study. And uh, we've titled this series Greater. Uh, and every week, has it not been shown that Jesus is greater? I mean, every week you kind of think, well, what else could he what else could he put forward and how much more greater can Jesus be? And every week, Jesus is greater and greater. And uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, was addressing a major issue going on there with these Jewish believers uh, in this uh, church of believers there. And uh, they were, some of those had heard the gospel. They had made a confession of Jesus Christ. Uh, and their understanding of the gospel, but they were reverting back to their old ways. They were taking Jesus for what he said in the gospel of Jesus Christ being uh, salvation, but yet they were reverting back to their old belief system. They were reverting back to their old ways of works and of, uh, of trying to please the Lord through sacrifices and through the Levitical system. And so they were walking back on their commitment to Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And there were some in the church who were struggling. They were struggling with this because they didn't know what to think about it. This is the first time they had really encountered this. And so they were going back and forth. Are these people really saved? Like, is this really the way? Can you believe in Jesus, but then also believe in the works of Judaism? And if you can do that, then why are we being faithful to Jesus Christ? Why don't we have the best of both worlds? Why don't we go back to the way we were and then have Jesus too? He can, he, we can have the best of both worlds. And they had never encountered this problem before. And so the writer wrote them to instruct them further. You remember him saying that. I want to instruct you on this matter that's happening. And during his writing, he warns them who fell away. And we have five warnings in the book of Hebrews. We have already studied three of them. So he warns the ones who have fallen away. He also wants to encourage those who are standing strong and encourage them to hold strong. And then he wants to show how great Jesus is over and over. He hammers at home. Jesus is greater. And if you have Jesus Christ, there's nothing greater in your past. There is nothing greater in your life right now, and there's nothing greater in the future you can pursue that's going to be greater than Jesus Christ. And if you walk away from Jesus Christ, you walk away from it all. And we talked about this in salvation. If you add something to Jesus Christ, you lose it all. If you take away something from Jesus Christ, you lose it all. It's not, it's not something you can combine with other ways or religions. And now we certainly know over 2,000 years of church history on our side that the apostates are part of the process, right? Like we have learned to understand how to deal with the wheat and the tares. We have learned how to understand how to deal with the seed who's fallen by the wayside. We've learned how to deal with those who have professed salvation for whatever reason. Sometimes it's emotional. You know, a lot of pastors and preachers sometimes will play with emotions and they, uh, some people get in a service or hear some sort of service and they get emotional and they make a shallow decision for Jesus. Sometimes it's just guilt and shame. Some people are so weighted with guilt and shame, they make a decision for Jesus Christ and sometimes it's to please someone else. Sometimes 
uh, a boyfriend goes with his girlfriend and to be, impress her, to make her love him more, she, he might walk the aisle or say he's a Christian and vice versa. Someone might be married into a family who's Christian and say, yeah, I'm a Christian too. And then there's others who are in a hard spot in life. Like maybe they're in jail or maybe they're in the military and we call it foxhole religion or a jailhouse confession, right? But after they get out, there's no commitment to Jesus Christ and everything that they've ever said they believed in or everything that the Bible says Christianity is, it doesn't resemble their life at all. And so the conclusion is, is this really the way of Christianity? And the writer of Hebrews is telling us that's not the way of Christianity. That's not the message of the gospel. That if someone confesses Jesus, but they are currently and consistently living a life that is not like Jesus Christ, then they're not safe. They, he warns them. He says, it's, you're in danger. You're in danger of apostatizing, of falling away, which means they are no longer to be brought back to repentance in their current condition. And if you're a believer and you're being tempted to go down that same path, don't do it. Beware lest you fall into the same fate as, as, as those who have apostatized. But the opposite of that is true as well. The writer not only gives us the negative, but he gives us the positive. That when you call upon the name of Jesus Christ, there is nothing greater. And your life and your heart needs to pursue Him with all that you have. And when you pursue Him with all that you have, you trust in Him with all that you have, you can have this blessed assurance because He is more than worthy to be your Savior and Lord. Jesus Christ will never let you down. The sacrifice that He made and His work and His personhood is greater than anyone else you could pursue in this life. And if you have a heart, you should give it to Jesus Christ. And if you have a life, you should live it for Jesus. It's worth it. It is worth it. He is worthy to be pursued. And when you pursue Him, you will have a blessed assurance to know you have this salvation of Jesus Christ. We've spent the last couple chapters diving deep into the reasons why Jesus is greater than all things Israel. We've spent three weeks uh, talking about the Israelites and the, and the things of the Israelites and the Levitical priest. And the conclusion that our writer got to was that all things of the nation of Israel that we read in the Old Testament is now obsolete. They are obsolete because Jesus Christ has fulfilled the shadows and the copies of those things. They were all types and pictures that pointed to Jesus Christ in the Old Covenant. Now we have the new mediator and the new covenant in Jesus Christ, and He is so much more worthy than the shadow or the copies. And why would you go back to the shadow and the copies when you have the real thing? When you have Jesus Christ, the real Savior, in heaven as His throne room and as His tabernacle and made a sacrifice that was for the sins of the world. Why would you want to go back to the priest? Why would you want to go back to the sacrifices? And the writer exhorts them. If you had enough faith to believe in the shadows and the copies, your heart should be so much more full of confidence and faith through the new mediator and the new covenant of Jesus Christ because He's so much greater. Jesus is the real deal. And I could tell you in your life, if you pursued religion, you realize religion is not the answer. In your life, if you've pursued good works, you realize good works is not the answer. 
in your life, if you pursued a family tradition or a, a tradition of, a, of some sort of denomination, you realize that's not the answer. Those may point you in the right direction, but just even in this own church, if you join our church, that's a good thing, but it's not the best thing. The best thing is to know Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. And if you pursue anything else other than Jesus Christ, you're pursuing a shadow or a copy or someone pointing you to Jesus Christ. He is the real Savior. And, it, and he took a deep dive in chapters 1 and 2 to show us the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Some of the deepest theological truths about the nature of Jesus Christ is found in chapters 1 and 2. He was of the same substance of God. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was a sacrifice that was made before a holy God. The person of Jesus Christ was worthy. And then he took another deep dive in chapters 7, 8, and 9. And we talked about this, how he proved the whole Levitical system and all the sacrifices and all the tabernacles and all things Israel fell short. But Jesus Christ has replaced them all. And he is the real thing. Now, in the latter part of chapter 10 to the end of the book of Hebrews, he applies all these truths. So he's given us all the information and he's applied it a little bit, but now there's a, there's a change here. From here to the end of the book of Hebrews, which is 13 chapters, he changes into application. He changes into why should those truths or how do those truths change, transform your life? And that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is so practical. When people say they read the Bible and they can't understand the Bible, what they're telling you is they, can't, they don't apply the Bible. The Bible is to be believed and it's also to be behaved, right? I mean, it's made to apply to your life. And the book of the Bible is not just information, it's transformation. And as we put it to work in our life, it changes our lives. What good is it to have knowledge, but if you never apply it, what good is that? Uh, I, I've experienced this in the business world, I'm sure you have as well. I most certainly has in the tile business. Anybody else been in the tile business can tell you or the construction business. There are those experts out there who have watched YouTube videos, right? Or maybe they have watched the Chip and Joanna show, you know what I mean? Or maybe they've got on that satanic Pinterest, you know what I mean? And they show you these pictures of this backsplash or of this wonderful looking tile job. And they say, this is what we want to look like. And, and, and we were going to do it ourselves, but we decided to give you a chance, all right? And I want to look at them and say, well, here's what your budget needs to be, right? Because your budget needs to match that picture. And they know everything about it. They are literally experts because they have read about it. And they have watched the videos. And you go to work and they ask you, what kind of mortar are you using? And why don't you put, well, the video says you do this first and this and that. And they are, they are a real joy to work for, by the way, right? Always over your shoulder. Always looking, Right? And they really want to do the job themselves, but they just have the information. They never really tried it. But what really is sweet redemption, every once in a while for us construction folks, right, that people decide to take the matters into their own hands, right? And they're like, $500, I'll do that myself. And then the next morning you get a call, can you help us please? We want you to do this because we tried it and the video says this, but it looks awful. Can you make it right? And I always want to say, well, you had the knowledge, but you didn't have the experience, right? That's where it comes into play. Well, Christianity is the same way. What good is it if you know the knowledge, but you never apply it to your life? What good is it if you said you know Jesus Christ, but your life never reflects that? 
It's not knowledge, it's transformation. And when you put the Bible to work in your life, it makes you like Jesus Christ. That's exactly what the purpose of it is. And all these things about Jesus Christ are true. They are very true. And when we take those things, how does that impact your everyday walk? How does that impact your walk with God? Well, this morning, beginning in verse 19, I want you to show you a couple things. One, the conclusion of your new position with God through Jesus Christ. So he's telling the Jewish people, you have this position with God because of Jesus Christ. And now, also, I want to give you three practical uh, challenges or commands that will make your everyday life look like your position in Jesus Christ. So you have this position, but I want your current condition to mimic or mirror your position in God. So first, your new position with God through Jesus Christ. Let's read verses 19 through 21 in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, uh, uh, enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. So the conclusion of Jesus being greater than all things is that the high priest, or the greater than the high priest, greater than their location, greater than their sacrifice. The conclusion of Jesus being from the line and lineage of Melchizedek. The conclusion that Jesus was greater than Abraham, Moses, David, Aaron, the angels, the prophets, the law, and all things Israel. The conclusion of your position now, rather than your position when you had all those things, is you have a greater position now because you are in the very presence of God now. That your position is not based on religion or performance, or a national policy, or a human sacrifice, nor do you need someone to take you into the presence of the Lord, now you have a position to the throne room of God because of the work and person of Jesus Christ. And that's good news. That's good news because through His sacrifice, He puts us into the holiest of the holy. You see that, right? We're not just on the outer fringes. We're not just, uh, you know, we're, we're not just uh, acquaintances with God. We are in the holiest of holies. We are in behind the veil. You remember the veil where it says here that now Jesus has replaced that veil. If you remember, the veil separated the holy of holies from the outer courts. And that holy of holies had a veil. It was 30 feet wide. Now, this building's about 50 feet wide, so a little shorter than this building here. 30 feet wide, 30 feet high. They would hang this between the holiest of holies, and it would cover the cherubim and the Ark of the Covenant and the part that's the Holy of Holy. 30 feet wide, 30 feet high, and it was about four inches thick. So if you can think about it being four inches thick of hand-woven thread, some historians have said two horses couldn't even pull it apart. That's how strong this fabric was. And you remember when Jesus Christ died on the earth and his sacrifice was made and his blood was shed. Do you remember what it said about the veil? Do you remember what it said when the earthquake happened? It says that the veil was literally rent from top to bottom. It split in half. And that's good news for you and for me because Jesus Christ himself split the veil for you and for me and now we have access to the very presence of God. We are before the throne of God now. 
We have a new position. We don't have to stay in the outer courts. We don't have to stay out of touch with God. We have a position through Jesus Christ in the very presence of God now. And not only that, he is currently watching over the house of God as the great and high priest of God. Now, if that don't get your heart pumping and praising God, I don't know what will. Because I could tell you this morning when I stand here, I don't come here with boldness in my own self. I come here with boldness because of Jesus Christ. And when you wake up in the morning and you call on God, you call out to God with boldness, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. When you're on your knees and you're begging God and you want God to be real in your life, you can know God, not, not ashamedly or blindly. You can come to Him boldly. Not because of a sacrifice you have made or a sacrifice someone else has made or someone who has brought you into the presence of God. No, you come boldly because you are in the presence of God. Jesus' sacrifice has made that possible for you and for me to go to the very throne room of God. You don't have to be of the right religion. You don't have to be of the right tribe or the right nation. You have the blood of Jesus Christ that covers your sins, and we can go boldly to the throne of God. Jesus paid it all and forever stands on your behalf and my behalf. And every person that confesses Jesus Christ, we can boldly enter the presence of God. Praise God. We didn't deserve it, but God sure gave it to us, right? I'm so glad. And listen, I don't stand, like I said before you, my own merit. I stand with the boldness of Jesus Christ. I love what the little boy said in Sunday school. I did the sinning and he did the saving. That's what I know, right? I didn't deserve it, but God has given it. And the greater position we have in God is through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can have boldness. We should enter into the presence of the Lord in our lives now. How does that match up to where we are currently living? If that is our heavenly standing, if that is our position before a holy God, then how should, that, how should that work out into our life? Well, he gives us three challenges, or three imperative commands. An imperative command in the Greek is something that is a current or a continual command that you must, uh, that you must uh, uh, execute. And these three imperative commands will show us how our current condition should live out this position before the Lord. And, 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 you know, this is important because so many of us don't understand the potential we have in Jesus Christ. And, and let me say it like this. Have you ever heard someone say they're not living up to their potential? You ever heard somebody say that? That means a person has a position or has been given things that they are not living up to the standard they should be. And, and in the sports world, this happens all the time, right? And, and unfortunately, it happens a lot with the Florida Gators, all right? Because I'm a Florida Gator fan. And recently, we find these players that have a lot of talent, they have a lot of physical gifts and talents that they can use, but somehow, they just never quite live up to their potential. This past year, we had a quarterback who has all the potential. Every time he, they introduced him and put him on the TV, they said, he has all the potential in the world. And then after losing eight or nine games, I don't know how many we lost, right? They keep saying, he's got the greatest potential for the NFL, so I told Robert, I hope he goes to the Cardinals for him. All right, anyways, but in the sports world, that's called a bust, right? You, you look at him and you say, he had it all, the position, he had the, he had the talent, he had the gifts, he had the opportunity, but he was a bust. He was a bust because he didn't live up to it. Was well, a believer in Jesus Christ, we have great potential because of what Christ has done for us. But that's all it is. It's potential. 
and we have to live it up to it. We have to live that out every single day. And this is where we miss the mark so many times. We are not living out our potential and we fall short of that. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. If you're going to live out all that God wants for your life, you've got to live these things out. And I want to command you. I want to give you three things. And he begins with the first one. Command number one. In Hebrews 10.22, he said, Let us draw near with a true heart in fullness and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See that? Command number one, let us draw near. Number one, we must take all of who we are and move it closer to God. That's a job. That's our, that's our focus. Everything in our life needs to be brought nearer to God. Our marriage, bring it closer to God. Our parenting and our family, bring it closer to God. Our job and where we work and how we operate, bring that closer to God. More of God, not less of God. If you want God to be real in your life and you want the presence of God in your life, bring God more into your life. You draw nearer to Him, and the closer you get to God, the more you know God, and the more you will live Him out. I saw a bumper sticker this week on a car, and it reminded me of this point. It said this, do you follow God as closely as you're following me, right? And based on how some of you drive, you're really close to God, by the way, all right? But think about that. The command is, draw close to God. The closer you get to God, the bigger He gets in your life. The further you get away from God, the smaller He gets in your life. And you are in the very presence of God positionally in Jesus Christ, but yet your life needs to match that, and you need to bring God into every area of your life. And He gives us these areas. He gives us a hint right here. He says, do it with a true heart. Our desires should be fully devoted to God. Our heart means without hypocrisy, with purity. We should, our heart should desire the things of God. We shouldn't have a divided devotion. The Bible says that no one can love two masters. You will hate the one and love the other, or love the one and hate the other. If you have something in your life that's a rival to God, you have a divided devotion. And you need to take that, whatever it may be, material possession or sensual lust or whatever whatever it is you need to separate yourself from that to have a pure heart before the lord put god first in your life seek ye first the kingdom of god i always illustrate this by saying like putting on a shirt a button-up shirt if you start with the right button when you get to the end all the holes will line up right but if you start with the wrong button what happens you have to take them all back apart and start with the right button and the right button to start with is putting God first in your heart. You put Him first in your devotion and no rival to God. Then He says, sprinkle your, your mind or your evil conscience with pure water. Our minds need to re be renewed. Our thoughts are to be towards God. Our desires and now our heart. You realize that our mind is a huge battlefield? Let me tell you, if you start thinking about something, it's not long before you're going to be doing that. And listen, this world knows that. Look at how they impact our lives, what we see and what we hear and what we experience. And they're continually trying to draw us away. The Bible says that our minds need to be renewed. And when we renew them, we draw nearer to God in all of our thoughts. 
Think about your thoughts this week. Are they closer to God or they bring you further away from God? And then third, our bodies are washed with pure water. Our flesh needs to match that. Whatever actions you take out should be cl- bring you closer to God, not further apart from God. Do not push God away or the places you go. There are places that I have been and when I've walked away from there, I've said, I am further away from God now. I should have never went there. I should have never done that. And your actions can draw you closer to God or they can push you away from God. And what he's saying in the areas of your life, your body, your mind, and your, and your soul should be closer to God. You bring them continually closer to God. Jesus commanded us to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's what he's talking about here. And you got to ask yourself, are you closer to God than you were a year ago? Are you continually every day wanting to draw nearer to God? Are you further away from God? Is the reality of God's presence real in your life? If God's presence is real in your life, that should show up in your devotion of your heart. That should show up in your thoughts. That should show up in your actions. Let me give you something real practical to live this out. You know, one of the most important part of a relationship is communication. You know, a, commu- a, a relationship can survive just about anything if it has communication, right? Communication is something that you do with someone that draws you closer to the person. If you want to get further away from someone, stop communicating with them. You know, people have said absence makes the heart grow fonder, but you know what I've found more to be true in relationships? Absence makes the heart drift apart. Because it's not long after you stop communicating with someone, you begin to drift apart and you don't have that contact time with them and your hearts are not being drawn together and next thing you know, you're being drawn to something else or someone else. That's usually what happens. And your hearts get divided, your thoughts get distracted, and next thing you know, your actions are changing and you're doing things you know you shouldn't be doing with your relationship. And it's very true with our relationship with God. You want to draw near to God? You want to have... You want to have a closeness to God like no other. And I know you hear this all the time, and it sounds like a preacher, like, you know, just giving you the the checklist, but this is not a checklist. This is something that should be woven into the fabric of your life as a Christian. You got to do two things as a Christian and communicate with God. You got to read God's word, and you got to pray to God. Listen, when you read God's word, that is God communicating to you. Listen, he wrote this book for you to get into it so he can speak to you. Most people say, I want God to speak to me. And I always say, he already has. It's in the Bible. And when you read it, it will come alive in your life. And the Bible is living and active. And he will communicate to you through the Bible. And then when you pray, that is you communicating to God. And you say, well, I don't know how to pray. Do you know how to talk? If you know how to talk, then you know how to pray. You just start off by saying, God, here I am. <laughs> he already knows who you are. But anyways, you can identify yourself. And I want to come to you today because I want my heart to be closer to you. And you should be, like Paul says, in so much prayer, prayers on the tip of your tongue. At any moment or time, you can break into prayer. And he's saying, you draw close to God like that and communicate with the Lord. You will draw closer to God. And I challenge you to commit to that. Commit to prayer. Commit to Bible study. And you will draw closer to God instead of falling away from God. There was an older man and woman. They were riding in a pickup truck. 
in an older pickup truck, back when they had bench seats. You guys remember when they had bench seats in a pickup truck? You know, I was a kid. My dad had a 1981 F-150 truck. And uh, like they said, you can see the Lord in a Ford, right? But anyways, someone also says you need the Lord if you have a Ford. That's true too, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but he would let us ride uh, in the front of that truck standing up on the bench seats. I can never forget that. Me and my brother would stand all the way up. And we would ride through town there. And it was a truck that had a bench seat. And this older lady, an older man was in there. And the wife looked over at her husband one day and said, You know, when we first got married, that we sat so close to one another, you couldn't even put a piece of paper in between. Have you ever been down a country road and see a husband and wife sitting right next to each other? And she said, when we first got married, we loved each other so much, you couldn't even put a piece of paper between us. Now, after 50 years, you're way over there, and I'm way over here. She said, what do you think about that? And her husband looked at her and says, well, honey, I'm in the same place. It's you who's moved, right? Because he's still driving. And listen, you might say, I'm not close to God. God's done something. He's moved. Guess what? He ain't moved. You've moved. You've let your heart get closer to something else. You've let your heart get closer to someone else. You've let your thoughts and your actions and your deeds. What you need to do is draw near to God. Take all that you have and move it closer to God. Your marriage, your life, your parenting, your job, your, your, your community. Take all those things and draw them closer to God. Challenge number one. Challenge number two in verse 23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Command number two, let us hold fast. That word hold fast means to grip onto something with an unbreakable grip. You ever heard of a white knuckle grip? That's what Aaron looks like in the car when I'm driving, a white knuckle grip, right? That means you grab something so hard your knuckles turn white. And what he's saying here is you grab onto Jesus Christ and you never let go. You grab onto Him and hold onto Him like your life depends on it. And then when I was a kid, I was, uh, there was a pond out in Palm Valley. And uh, Palm Valley, for those who haven't grown up around here, was before Ponte Vedra, all right? And uh, Ponte Vedra's kind of morphed all the way out into Nocatee and all that. But back then, it used to be Fruit Cove or Ponte Vedra. And you'd have to go down Racetrack Road and get over on 210 and head over to uh, Palm Valley. And uh, in Palm Valley, there I had a friend of mine, and <clears throat> he had a cousin of his that lived down the road. And we would go down to this pond, and that pond had a big oak tree. And that oak tree had a, a swing, a big, you know, limb that went all the way out over the water. And they had a rope out there with a knot tied to the end of it, you know. And uh, they would get up into that tree and they would throw that rope up to you. You'd have to hold on to that rope. And as you went down that rope, you'd swing out over the water and they would, you know, splash out into the water. Well, all was fine until someone said, why don't you get up there and do that? And I was already nervous enough with a chubby kid with my shirt off, you know what I mean? So I was out there thinking, oh boy. If I get up there, I might not be able to hold myself up, you know what I mean? So I was like, oh, I can't chicken out, though, so i got to try it, you know what I mean? So I get up there, and I got up there on that limb, man, I felt like I was on the Empire State Building. I was like, man, this is so high, I'm going to die, I'm, gonna, I'm a dead man, right? So I grabbed a hold of that little bitty rope, and I put my arms around and my hands around, thinking, there's no way these hands are going to hold my weight, you know what I mean, like this. Is the rope going to break? Is my grip going to break, you know? I, I just prayed as hard as I could. I said, all right, Lord, here I go, you know? And so I jumped out of the limb, and sure enough, I go straight down, you know? And I knew right away what would be the hardest grip I had to do, because before you swing out, you know, you always had to go down first. And sure enough, I went straight down, I held on to it, and I made it. And I made it through the hardest part, and I got out over the water, and I was like, I did it! I did not fall! 
but I froze up and wouldn't let go of the rope. <laughs> and you know what happens, right? You never go back up the tree as high as you went out of the tree, right? And so there I was dangling back and forth between the tree and the pond. And I was just going back and forth. But guess what? I never let go of that rope. <laughs> let me tell you, I never let go of that rope. Listen, that's the command. The command here is you grab a hold of Jesus Christ and you don't even think about wavering. You don't even think about letting it go. You let this whole world crash down. You let everything around you fall apart. But you hold on to that rope. You hold on to Jesus Christ like it matters because it does. And when you confess Jesus Christ like David, a hundred, I mean, a thousand may fall by your left side and ten thousand by the right side, but you shout it out. I will trust in the Lord no matter what. And so many Christians today are falling away. They're giving up. They're wavering. The world has them on the ropes and they're breaking their grip with Jesus Christ. May it not be so for you and for me. Commit to hold the rope. Commit to trust in Jesus Christ in your marriage, your family, your life. And look what it says. Not that you are faithful, but what? He is faithful. Jesus always keeps His word. You might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He will keep His word. He will never let you down. Jesus never fails. And this morning, maybe you came in here and you're starting to let go of your rope. Listen, tighten, that, tighten it up. Don't, don't let go of it. You may be facing some hard things and you may be pulling away from God. But let me challenge you. Hold fast to Jesus Christ. There's nothing else greater you can hold on to. He is faithful and He will be faithful and He will forever be faithful. And even on this earth, if you never see all that Jesus Christ has done for you in eternity, you will be so grateful you never let go of the rope. Let me tell you, Jesus never fails. Challenge number one, draw near to God. Challenge number two, hold fast to your confession. Challenge number three comes in verse 24 and 25. And let us consider <clears throat> one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Command number three, let us consider one another. I love how the King James Version translates this, let us provoke one another. Consider, provoke. What does that mean? We are to come together and provoke one another or consider one another. What it, what it means is that Christians need one another. That we are a family of believers and we are stronger together than we are apart. And when you come together and we provoke one another, we consider one another, we stir up one another. Man, I, when I come into contact with people who use their gifts and talents for the Lord and we're on the same team and we, we see people fighting challenges and we see people encouraging one another, that encourages me. That stirs me up to love like them. That stirs me up for good work. That stirs me up to want to do the right thing. And listen, we live in enemy territory. And in the world, you will be distraught and you will be discouraged when you come to church and you gather together with believers. It's, a time, for, uh, it's time for encouragement. It's time for stirring one another up. And how does that happen? He says it. You assemble yourselves together. And he clearly commands them, do not forsake that. As is the manner of some. Some fall by the wayside, but you don't be like that. You stick with one another through thick and thin. Listen, a church for me is not just an organization. It's the body of Christ. 
This church is my family, and I never give up on my family. I wouldn't want my family to give up on me, and I don't want to give up on my family. I don't ever want to walk out on them and leave them high and dry. And so when it's my time to minister, I minister. But when it's my time to be ministered to, guess what? The church comes and ministers to me. In this church, it has been a part of my life, and I've seen this work in my life. And there's purpose and meaning in the body of Christ, and you are needed in that. It's part of the process. So you are one of God's tools that He uses to grow Christians, to become more like Jesus Christ, and others need you as well. And we're better together than we are apart. And when we come together and we assemble to worship God and publicly proclaim the name of God over all, that's what we do together. You name some other place that gathers together to worship God other than a church, other than a church should be. And we fellowship together. We come together and we share victories. We, we shout with those who are having great victories, those who are having who have children and those who have victories in their marriage and victories in their jobs and their business. And we also come together to share burdens. We come together to help one another carry a load. When someone has cancer, we help carry the load when someone else is in a challenging part of their life. And don't take lightly the awesome power of the assembled people of God. That's what he's saying. You, some has given up on the church. And I know this. And listen, honestly, most of the church in this country needs to be given up on. I'm not talking about that kind of church. I'm not talking about the church by in name only who are seeker sensitive and theologically weak and consumer mindset towards the world. That's not the church. That's the country club, right? That's the false church. We know that exists. It has existed for over 2,000 years and it's only going to get worse and it's going to continue to exist until Jesus Christ comes back. That's just part of it. I'm talking about those who are the real church, the Jesus church. The church of Jesus Christ that preaches God's word and sticks to the Bible and loves one another. What the writer is saying, don't forsake that kind of gathering. If you have those kind of people in your life, be a part of it because you need it and others need you as well. You are to commit to that and don't forsake that. And certainly I know for me in my life, I've been encouraged by that. I am better or strengthened today as a Christian in the family.